Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> okay then, <clears throat> without further ado, welcome to the... I'm your host, Jaquan J.Q. Jacobs, alongside my co-host, Mr. Dylan Short. How's it going, man? Life's good, man. Talking sports, you know how it goes. Absolutely. Uh, another weekend in the books. Uh, more craziness happened. Let's uh, kick it off uh, with a short recap here of the Royals. Uh, we talked about it last week. Uh, we both thought we were going six games. I had the mess. You had the Royals, but... Once again, I think that World Series experience kicked in, and they just would not be defeated. I I, I can't do anything but tip my hat to them. They took care of uh, the Mets aces and Harvey and DeGrom, and even though Syndergaard uh, got them in the one game, they looked really good playing old-school National League baseball, really, still in bases, playing good defense, moving the runners over, and, and clutch uh, situational hitting and later inning. So I tip my cat to them, man. Uh, Anything else you want to throw in there? I'm sure you are getting ready to get back on the uh, Alex Gordon uh, bandwagon. <laughs> hey, I will be on the Alex Gordon bandwagon until they prove me otherwise. I figured it'd be the Royals, who <laughs> were the better all-around team. Uh, they had a better, well-suited offense for that type of situation. And after what happened last year, I just had a feeling that the Royals were not going to be denied. They weren't going to go back again. And they really just they came out and put their, their foot down on people's throats. Yeah, absolutely, and I was I was really impressed with the way they they hung in and they attacked you know the Aces from from New York because when you can go and and get to Harvey and and not give in to him and and a lot has been made about Terry Collins leaving them in I think that's you know a fifty fifty uh, proposition because if he takes them out and Familia hadn't really been locked down in the World Series so Familia comes in and he blows the lead everybody's gonna say oh why would you take out Harvey but then you bring Harvey in and he gets in a little trouble. And uh, the world was able to tie it and send an extra in. It's just like, oh, you left him in too long. So I think he was in a lose-lose situation right there. But, again, you got to, you know, just tip your hat to the Royals. They would not be denied. They kept coming from behind, especially in late innings. Um, and they just stopped the way to hang around against the Aces until they could until they could break through. Yeah, it's exactly. And we actually talked about that last week, about uh, the biggest difference between the Royals and the Mets was that bullpen. And the starters for the Mets yeah. didn't do terribly the starters did very well. and In fact, this was, I forget the years, but this is one of the few World Series where the winning team actually came back in every game. And that just goes to show you just how different it was with that bullpen of Royal. That bullpen was just a, a huge game-breaker. Uh, am I back now? You back, Dylan? Yes, sir. There I am. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Apologies. Uh, good people listening to us. Blog Talk just decided they didn't want to hear us talk about the Royals anymore, so they went in and cut us off. <laughs> so, they said baseball season is over. Move on. 
<laughs> yeah, they said, yeah, you know, you beat that dead horse. Let's let's, let's move on with it. Uh, like I was going to say, I'm going to throw it to you um, because that was just uh, an abysmal showing uh, by the dogs against the Gators. And I think we had an inkling that was going to happen. But, you know, the move to Fatone was just reeked of desperation. And then when you saw the product on the field, you knew it was desperation. Uh, the defense tried to keep them in it for as long as they could, but you can't have four interceptions and play against a very good Florida team and expect to stay in that game. So I, I'll throw it to you uh, there, Dylan. Is this the year that Mark Rick finally uh, bids adieu uh, to the Bulldog program? Well, he should. It's not going to happen. If you've been paying attention at all, you've seen where they've said if Georgia replaces Rick, Eason's going to reopen up his commitment. And he was actually speaking to Doug Nussmeyer um, again after the game. It should happen. That's that's three straight years of just disappointment from Rick and losing out when you should have been winning. And that game, we touched on it. Um, I was actually going to be in a bit of trouble I was, because he switched to Fatone. So I was going to, I was, I was okay with it. I was like, Hey, he's making an adjustment, but then he got out there and it was a vanilla game plan and he didn't run with the running quarterback, which blows my mind. Makes me wonder why you put him in. If you knew he couldn't throw the ball, why would you sit there? And once again, they refused to use Keith Marshall three carries. Yeah. It, it just blows my mind. Yeah, I agree. You put in the running quarterback. I want to say that he that Patone only had three or four design runs uh, in that three game. Three runs, well, so. and his his excuse was, right. well, we have a bunch of option reads. That's not the point of using a running quarterback. Exactly. If, if you have a running quarterback, you have to almost let your halfback be the lead blocker. and Because and, we saw from Cam Newton the other night against Indianapolis where it was a design run. You had Stewart be the leading back, and the same thing with – Tony Michelle and uh, Keith Marshall, they got to let them be the lead blocker and get him out there in space. I I don't have any words for it. You have the debacle against Alabama. You have the debacle against Tennessee. You barely squeaked by Missouri. Then you got your doors blown off by Florida. I mean, are you really going to put your whole program on the word of an 18-year-old who hasn't done anything in football? And then he's coming into the hardest conference in the SEC and you're going to pin your hopes on that by, by extending Mark Rick, I, I don't think that's a good reason. If you're going to give me a reason, give me something else that I can hold on to. But if it's because a highly uh, talented recruit who hasn't done a thing on the gridiron in college football yet is saying I'm going to open up my uh, recruitment again if you get rid of him, I just don't think that's a good idea, Dylan. Oh, I totally agree with you. Uh, the argument being is if you don't get Eason, then you're stuck with these three quarterbacks again next year with no quarterback in sight you're going to lose the other three highest recruits who really only agreed to come here because of Eason. It's a bad situation for the dogs. I mean, there's there's really not much good you can say. Schottenheimer has been a complete bust as a coordinator. Neither of them can make in-game adjustments. Shoddy refuses to use certain players. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why Reggie Davis is still getting the playing time he's getting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't I mean, get it. And then, go ahead. It's two weeks in a row, two special teams miscues given up. And, I mean, come on. Everybody knows from the time you're in seventh grade that when your feet hit that 10-yard line, you don't move backwards. Yep. I, mean, I, I totally agree. Pathetic. 
Yeah, and then today uh, the two freshmen got uh, got arrested for a marijuana possession as well. Um, I don't have Natrez, Patrick, and Chauncey Rivers. Right. So I mean, it's just it's just snowballing downhill, and I don't know what else you need to see. And I and I guess you know if you say the recruiting class, but what if that recruiting class comes in and they don't set the world on fire, and you end up going eight and four, you know, again, or God forbid, seven and five. So you just delayed it another year. And then you have all these openings this year, so then you're going to lose out on some very good potential head coaching candidates because you waited a year too late. I just, it's just a mess down there in Athens, and I and I don't think it's a quick fix. But depending on this, if you go get a coach who's going to show these guys, hey, I'm a good guy, and I got a game plan for you guys, and they decide to leave, then okay. But if you miss out on this very good crop of coaches that's going to be available because they're going to go somewhere else, and if Mark Rick doesn't do it, then where are you going to be at the end of next year? So I, and they're I looking know. to use. They're looking to throw Jeremy Pruitt under as the scapegoat because he gets loud and yells at the offense. And I can't say as I blame him. I mean, he had a point where he said about the game where you take out the big plays that Florida had, and they still would have beaten Georgia because the offense couldn't score a touchdown. And he was absolutely exactly. right. I mean, yep. it's these type of vanilla play calls. I mean, you you even if no three of your quarterbacks were that good. I mean, you kind of had an inkling. We talked about this before. Uh, you knew you mm-hmm. didn't have many experienced receivers, but, again, that's on recruiting and on coaching. You you lost mm-hmm. Nick Chubb, and there's no way to get around that. But it goes back to the biggest thing with Rick, and that he cannot adjust a game plan. And you saw him try to do a little bit of it, but everything he did for that game, going forward on the fourth down, the fake punt, uh, bringing in Fatone, the onside kick, all of these things – were were um, game plan things that you could do before the game started. These were adjustments that you make in practice. Mm-hmm. Once again, there was no in-game adjustment. I mean, three of those interceptions by Bauta were just awful, awful passes. And mm-hmm. he missed Jay Rome on a wide-open throw that would have been a touchdown that I think was the turning point of the game. It, it, yeah, and then, you know, the last point on this, and then he had another pass where he was scrambling out to his right, and he threw it right to the linebacker, and the linebacker dropped as, it. He just as soon as he let that, go. Yes. Yes, as soon as he let go, he said, oh, my goodness, but how did you miss that bad? Uh, I, I, I think we got to move on because, you know, I'm not even a big dog fan like that, but that's just hard to watch, you know, a team that should be in a, an upper echelon team just continue to flounder. So moving and to tell to, you the truth, um, I'm not all that excited right. about playing Kentucky this weekend. That's going to be a dangerous game because Kentucky can put up points. Absolutely. I was going to leave that alone. I was going to say, and then you got a normal uh, doormat in Kentucky who's going to come and, and beat George. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how far down you have to hit in order for you to look at each other and say, you know, the Mark Rick Mark there has run his course and it's time to move on. Uh, Ran speaking of moving on. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of moving on. Coming from your dogs to my Buckeyes, I do – it's called Uber. You know, you can call anybody in Columbus, and they will come get you at this point in time, JT. I don't exactly. understand why you would do that. And I know Urban's getting a lot of flight, but, you know, according to the Ohio State policy, it's a misdemeanor, so they didn't have to suspend him at all. But I think given what's going on with the revelations with, you know, Hernandez of Florida – um, I think Urban had to do a little something. Uh, he took some of his scholarship money for his uh, summer aid in 2016, and he really wanted to take his uh, his captaincy, but the player said, no, you know, he made a mistake. We still believe in him. So they still uh, allow him to keep his C. 
But the same way you feel about Kentucky, you know, I watched that Minnesota-Michigan game last week, and if it hadn't been for some of the worst play calling in the, in I've ever seen, you know, outside of Pee Wee football, Minnesota should have beat Michigan. So now you get Minnesota coming in, you know, off of that, and if they don't get too low, now you got Cardell, who has just not looked good at all this year, and he doesn't have the run threat that JT Barrett had, and that's what opened that offense up. So I'm really concerned about this Minnesota game um, because you're already the defending national champ. You're going to get everybody's best punch either way it goes. But now you, you know, basically tie one hand behind your back by taking your quarterback out who finally got the offense moving. So this one is going to be a, a closer game than I think uh, is the experts think because I know they're still living off Cardell and what he did last year. But, I, oh, JT, I mean, just the distraction alone was not good uh, for this week. And it's not just been the offense. It's been a disappointment. I mean, where's Joey Bosa been? This is a guy who was getting talked about as being a potential number one overall pick, and he's been pedestrian this year. And when you don't have him on that threat, Mitch Leidner can run the ball a little bit. Minnesota can mm-hmm. move the ball, and they can run, and they can put up points on offense. So you're right. that I do think that'll be a close game unless, uh, unless Ohio State gets some takeaways early. If they can get mm-hmm. some really good short yardage possessions early, because it may help Cardell coming off the bench. That may be the spark that brings him back to it like we've seen a good bit this year, especially with Jake Coker from Alabama. Yeah, and and I'm hoping that he comes off the bench with that, you know, that piss of vinegar of, oh, you guys all, you know, buried me. I'm still that guy that got us the national championship and watch what I can do. And that's really what Ohio State has to hope for because if it's the same Cardell Jones that played against Northern Illinois, um, they're in trouble. Because uh, for everything you just said about about Minnesota – and back to your point about Bosa, if you watch the games, he's getting really close. He's getting double teamed, and that's why you see a lot of talk about uh, Dolphins Washington and uh, the other guy that filled in for him when Virginia Tech, his name just escaped me, when uh, Bosa was suspended for the Virginia Tech game. They're getting a lot of the numbers, but it's Bosa causing a lot of pressure, and they're cleaning up the pile, so to speak. So I'm not so um, upset with what he's doing. Uh, it's just more the linebackers, really. Raquan Mitchell, uh, what are you doing? Because um, they're getting ran on a lot, and that's Darren not Lee. normally what happens for the home. Yeah, and Darren Lee, yes. What, what are you doing? They're getting ran on by running backs and quarterbacks, and if they take that potentially into the playoffs. They're going to get embarrassed on the national stage. So I'm worried about my Buckeyes. So I'll, we'll leave it at that. You know, we both got some disappointment with our favorite teams. We'll see what happens this weekend, and we'll get back together and talk about it next week. Um, Luckily, we got football. Alabama LSU. Yes, that's going to be a, a, a monster. I'm holding on for that one for a second. That's going to be that's going to be definitely be the game of the weekend. Um, That'll what be. Do you, a good what are your feelings about game. that? Yeah. What do you feel about the uh, playoff reveal yesterday? Any um, it's the, it's the first week it? of it. it. First week of it, I really don't care. Uh, I do think they were right mm-hmm. to put Clemson at number one, not because I think Clemson's yeah. the best team, but Clemson has the easiest road to it, and there's still there's still no telling who's going to play quarterback for uh, Florida State. And if it's Sean McGuire, that's going to be an ugly game. And uh, Clemson, with who they play left, they should have no problems going undefeated this season. I mean, who? Well, it's going to be North Carolina coming out of the other side, and that's not going to be right. a game. Uh, LSU, no. I do believe, should be number two right now. I don't have yep. any qualms about that. Um I would have liked to see TCU get a little bit more love, but I can understand it because they haven't they haven't played any defense this year, which is usually their mm-hmm. calling card, so I can see it. But this is just the preliminary, and LSU-Alabama, one of them is going to get knocked off 
this week. So that'll open the door for TCU to move in next week. Yeah, and I agree. But the only thing about it is that – and TCU has been barely hanging on to some of those games. They're scoring a lot of points, like you said. They aren't playing a, a lick of defense. I would agree. I think Clemson is playing the best football right now of anybody in the country. I really do. Deshaun Watson is really taking that job. Now, we talked about it earlier in the summer. If he can stay healthy, that Clemson team is going to be dynamic to watch and hard to beat, and, and that's what they're showing. Um, and I would go with LSU number two as well, I mean, because they're playing in a harder conference and they're still undefeated. I'd give them that. I think Ohio State could be four, but giving them, giving them three, they're giving them a bit of that uh, national defending champ uh, benefit of the doubt because their schedule really doesn't match up to this point to anybody else because they've yet to play either the Michigan schools and potentially a um, Big Ten title game against probably Iowa. So they would have three ranked teams in a row. So if they ran that course, it would more validate them being there. But they're going to give them the benefit of the doubt the same way they gave Florida State last year when Florida State wasn't really doing anything. The only exactly. problem I have is Alabama at four. And I understand that they play in the SEC as well, but they already have a loss. And you have them over undefeated Baylor, undefeated TCU, undefeated Michigan State, and, oh, look at here, undefeated Memphis who beat the team that went into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. So I don't know – about that one, I mean, that one almost seems like a you know, lifetime achievement award at this point for me for Alabama being number four. That's just me. Um, I know it's going to be hard to jump Memphis up there, but to put them so far behind them and put Alabama ahead of those other undefeated teams, I think is a little bit of a solid face, definitely to the Big, to the big 12, when you're sitting there with, with Baylor and TCU sitting there undefeated. I can understand that. I understand. I do think Alabama's better than both of those teams, though. Uh, I really think what it comes down to in this first preliminary is because a lot of these teams haven't played their major rivals yet. It's going to come down to a lot of them strength schedule because there are no conference champions yet. Baylor, I'm sorry, Baylor can't play any defense. They're a gimmick offense. Um, it puts up a ton of points. That that spread and go, super run and gun, I mean, that's it's a good offense. Art Briles is a fantastic offensive mind. But I don't see a right way to put Baylor in there knowing that you're going to – that Baylor basically wins shootouts 66 to 55 and things like that. It's the same thing with TCU, although TCU has the potential to be a better defense. Baylor has never played defense. So I'm not going to get too upset about Baylor right now. Uh, that should shake out. Whichever one of those two knocks off the other one, you'll see that go on. Uh, Michigan State is kind of in that boat where, yeah, they've won and they're undefeated, but that is that's an undefeated like Florida State was undefeated last year, where you can tell that team is not to the same caliber as some of these other opponents or some of these other undefeated teams, like, their undefeated does not look the same as Clemson's undefeated. Not even close. Agreed. Definitely, definitely agree with that. But putting them behind a one-loss team is the only thing. I don't think they should be ahead of anybody that's in front of them under one through three. I totally agree with that. But, you know, Memphis, I don't know. My only problem is Memphis hasn't really played much. They beat Ole Miss, which was a fantastic win, and that's a good Memphis team. But yeah. it's going to take – I don't think I don't think an undefeated Memphis would get in this year. I think it would take another year of having a great season like this because people are going to just assume that it's the schedule and that they caught lightning in a bottle. I mean, it, it sucks for those, those small schools, but they're trapped in that, that Boise State mold that was there a few years ago. It's going to take them some consistent yeah. winning to get there. Yeah, and, I mean, Temple basically just got eliminated losing to Notre Dame. And then Houston's a good story with Todd Herman, but they, you know, they don't have that signature win. At least Memphis has a signature win at this point. And it's only going to get better if Ole Miss springs any upsets against LSU, and then they make that SEC West 
you know, a, a three-team race, and then it's like, what do you do with Memphis then? So that's going to be interesting to see. But That would be the, when you the, see Memphis yeah. jump way up. Yeah, agreed. But I don't think it's going to uh, happen. I think the Big 12 is going to kill it. Yeah, well, you never know. Those, you know, that Ole Miss LSU, you know, that kind of border rival game, I I think LSU should win, but I don't take anything for granted in, in that uh, the SEC West, like we talked about before, is going to cannibalize each other maybe. And the same thing I think is going to happen in the Big 12 because you've got TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma all having the round robbing each other in this month of November. So it's going to be hard for one of them to go through that unscathed, I think. So I think it's going to end up working out for the uh, college football, you know, committee because I think they're going to knock each other off and validate them not putting either of those two in the top four now. But based off right now, I, I don't know if you can put lead them behind Alabama. That's just me. Um, so prediction time. Um, we got a very good slate of games here uh, this weekend. I I wish I had more cable boxes in one room, so I would have to go somewhere <laughs> to, <laughs> to watch it. You're going to record uh, everything. I'll start with, I mean, yeah, but, you know, it's going to be hard because you're going to get those in-game highlights every five minutes from the other games that are going on. And then at halftime, you're going to have to turn the TV off so you don't see any highlights from the games that happened before. <laughs> so you almost have to be somewhere like with four TVs just dedicated right there so you can watch it. Um, so we touched on a little bit. So I think I know where you're going with this, but who you got, Florida State at Death Valley at Clemson? I'm going Clemson, and I'm going Clemson big. I think they win by at least two touchdowns. I'm leaning more towards three, especially if Everett Ooh. Golson doesn't play. Dalvin Cook's probably not going to play, and Dalvin Cook's their entire offense. Uh, without If yeah. Dalvin Cook doesn't play, that's going to be a blowout. Agreed. I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I don't, I'm not so much um, high on Everett Golson because my thing, and we talked about it before, is that if you couldn't win the, the Dame at Notre Dame when they wanted you to win the job and you had to transfer to Florida State, that tells me everything I need to know about where you are with your quarterback play. It comes down to Dalvin Cook. And if his, if his ankle is nowhere near 100%, I totally agree. I think Clemson blows the doors off of Florida State. Uh, TCU at Oklahoma State, that's a really good game because Oklahoma State is actually not playing terrible defense, but they did let Texas Tech put up way too many points on them last week. I didn't quite understand that. I mean, the Big 12 is like watching arena football at this point. There's just last person gets the ball wins. Um, but – I'm going to go with the star in this one. I'm going to go with Boykin. I'm going to go with TCU. I agree. Uh, I just think that at some point this TCU defense is going to get it together. That's a really, really aggressive 4-2-5 that Gary Patterson loves to run. And unfortunately for Mike Gundy, I think it's this week, and I think TCU wins by two scores. I think Trevon Boykin, you can't stop him. And Gundy said this yesterday on his press conference, that he's played 20 games and nobody's figured out how to stop him yet. I don't expect yeah. Oklahoma State to be that team. Yeah, no, no, me either. And the only thing is that, you know, it's in still water, so they're going to be fired up. Um, Oklahoma State has a good team, but I just think they're a, a notch below TCU. And I think if anybody runs the gauntlet, I think it's TCU now that Baylor has lost uh, Seth Myers um, to the Definitely. neck injury. Um, so but I think this might be the game. If they could get trapped, it would have to be this on the road. Oklahoma State fired up, ready to prove that they belong. So, We'll we'll see, but again, it's going to be video game like going for it on fourth down and back before they change the rules. You know, it's going to be it's going to be silly. Uh, I'm gonna throw it to you, Mr. SEC. Number four LSU at number seven Alabama and Tuscaloosa. That is going to be a two. Give me your thoughts on that. This one is my hardest one for me to pick. Yeah, it's in Tuscaloosa. Honestly, to me, this is a pick'em game. This is to me, it's completely fifty-fifty. Uh, mm-hmm. I just 
I don't know if I can pick against Bama at home. I want to say LSU, but I don't know if they're going to be able to run the ball as well as they normally do. Brandon Harris has had a lights-out year. So I'll mm-hmm. say LSU, but I'll say it with a caveat, and I reserve my right to change my prediction <laughs> after the first series for LSU. Uh, if Brandon <laughs> Harris plays well, if Brandon Harris doesn't have any turnovers, LSU wins this by three. The only bad thing, LSU's been giving up some running yards, and Alabama, their offense is starting to click, especially it only takes that one rumbling run from Derrick Henry to completely change that game. So I'll say LSU, but neither outcome would surprise me. What about you? Sorry about that, folks. We keep getting, getting. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Blog Talk right now. This never happens. Go ahead, finish it, though, Max. <laughs> okay, how far did I get? Because what I, I'll just end off saying that I think it'll be LSU close, but neither outcome would shock me. The only outcome would shock me if it was a blowout either way, because um, you got two stud running backs in Fournette and, and Henry going at it. So, and I know Fournette's better than Henry, but Henry at home, I think, almost puts him at on par. So I'm looking at what you were touching on, quarterback play, Coker versus Harris. And I don't have any confidence in either one of them on the big stage, to be honest with you. So I'm like, oh, I don't really know who to go with. Um, but because it's in Tuscaloosa and Nick Saban is in that Bill Belichick mode, he's going to do everything he can to take point out the game and dare Harris to beat him. I'm going to go with Alabama on a late field goal as well. I don't think it's more than a field goal either way. If it's more than that either way, Somebody got hurt or just made a critical mistake. So I, I totally I, agree. I, I hear you. I, yeah, I think it's a pick-up game. Nothing, um, nothing would shock me outside of a blowout in either direction. Um, off of college football for a little bit, let's go to the NFL. What is going on with the Atlanta Falcons? You let a rookie quarterback come into the dome and beat you. This is a game we talked about before when we were previewing them in the summer that we just wrote down as a win for the Falcons. And I'm watching that game, you know, because I was out at the bar, caveat, watching the Steelers and the Bengals, but there was one game right next to me where it was the Falcons and Tampa, and I kept looking back like, why have they not blown Tampa Bay out of this game? I, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on with Atlanta. They play, down, they play up and down to the competition. I don't think that they're a fantastic team. Um, <laughs> six and two. I'm, I'm, I'll just be honest. I don't think they're a great team. Uh, I think the fact that they've played – three backup quarterbacks going to be four when they play Blaine Gabbert this week. I think that inflates the record. But again, like I've said before, you don't have to apologize for it. I mean, you win four of these game, of your last games, and it's very doable, especially with the way Indy's playing. Um, yeah. Then you can still be a 10-win team and likely get into the wild card. I don't think you're better than Minnesota, so we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah. if you can't get rush, if you can't rush the passer, then it doesn't really make Jameis the same type of rookie quarterback that you'd normally see. If he's not facing that pressure, then it's not quite the same feel of, oh, he's a rookie. Then it's just he's got all day to throw. And the Falcons' leading pass rusher right now is Vic Beasley, which sounds good until you realize he only has two sacks. Right. Yeah, and, and I would agree with that. But I'm I'm wondering now if that's going to be enough at, at, at 10 wins because you look at – the Saints having won four or five games, 
and then you look at the NFC West and you've got St. Louis playing really good ball. And I don't and Arizona's playing good ball and I'm not ready to count out Seattle quite yet. So I'm looking at that and where we thought they had to shoot in, there are a lot of teams that are coming up on their on their tail and the Falcons are gonna to have to get it together. And I was listening um to the to the not to the front row, to um uh, right before you guys come on. Nah, before you guys oh, okay. come Rude on awake. in the morning. Rude, Rude awake. Awake. And they yeah, and they said that they ascribed out there and San Jose said that they held on to start and Gabbard this week because they wanted to play a lesser defense. Can you imagine that? They they instead of putting Kaepernick against a lesser defense, they said we're gonna wait to put Blaine Gabbard in until the uh until we play the Falcons and not do that to the Rams. I mean that is a slap in the face to a six and two team. I'm, if they don't come out, if that doesn't do it for them, I don't know what else does for them. If you hear that and you can say all the right things in the press of Oh, you know, it doesn't matter. We're going to come out and play the same way. Me and you both know that's bull. If you tell me Blaine Gabbard of the 25.4 QBR rating since he's in all his starts since he's been drafted, <laughs> is it doesn't get you fired up. They were waiting to put him in to face you specifically. I I, I don't have anything else to say about it with the Falcons, uh, period, as a team. That should get you ready to go on the road or not. Exactly, and I don't really care what they say. I'm not – I just want to see him do it. Luckily, the thing about Gabbard is you just have to get a defensive end within within sight range, and he'll turtle up on the ground. So you may see them get a couple more. <laughs> times. Yeah, he, uh, he's 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 a little skittish. So uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out. We're down to four, four undefeated teams. Um, Carolina has really impressed me. Even though they let any get back in the game, that was a sloppy game with with the rain and the whatnot. So I give them a bit of a pass on that. But they're finding ways to win games. That defense with Davis and Keekley in the middle and Josh Norman on the outside with the way Cam and Stewart are running the ball, they look very dangerous. I don't think the Falcons have a shot in the dark at that division with them right now unless somebody gets hurt. And then you go to the AFC, and my poor Bengals would be the talk of the AFC. But, oh, yeah, you got Denver with the best defense probably in the league with Peyton Manning undefeated. And you got Tom Brady doing what he does after the Flategate, just slapping people in the face, and they're undefeated. So, I just want to get your thoughts on them. Who do you think probably lose first? And I know you're going to probably go to my Bengals, and I probably would have to agree with you. But could you do you want to rank them for me, one to four of the strongest to the weakest of those four undefeated teams? All right, strongest to weakest, I'm going to go Patriots number one. Okay. Uh, I don't think they're losing. I think they've got an actual legit shot at going undefeated. That's not to say they will. I'll, I'll put their odds at 50-50 because it's so hard to win every game. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to pick your Bengals at number two. I'm going to surprise you. I think they're more well-rounded. I think they're more well-rounded. I think Jeremy Hill will come on. And once Jeremy Hill really gets it going on his yards per carry basis, then I think that team's going to take off. Uh, Their only problem, I really think the only problem they're going to have in their division is they're one more game at Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm not worried about them playing Johnny Manziel on Thursday. I think they're going to slaughter them. Uh, I'll pick Denver at number three. I think Denver loses first out of all those AFC teams just because that offense isn't really working right. And it only takes one week for that defense to not be fantastic or for them to play a great offensive team. I'm not sure that offense can hang with them all the time. I know what they did to Rodgers, but I don't think they can do that week in and week out. And I'm going to say Carolina is the bottom barrel of my undefeated teams just because they have nothing outside of Greg Olson and Cam Newton on offense. And like I was just saying with Denver, you can only count on your defense to win you games so many times. Eventually, they'll fold too. 
So actually, I'll change that. I think Carolina loses. The, I think Carolina loses first. Then I think mm-hmm. Denver loses, and then I don't think the Bengals lose until they play Pittsburgh again. To tell you the truth, unless they play, unless I haven't looked at the schedule enough, and they end up playing New England soon. No, they. Um, I, I think they get tripped up because you guys go to this rivalry game this week, and my worry is that they talk a lot of trash when they destroyed Johnny Manziel last week, and I know they. There's a, I think that's a part of the reason why they're playing him this week. Um, and we don't really have a great pass rush either. And our best pass rusher, Carlos Dunlop, is hurt. And he's questionable. And Geno Atkins. That's something to be figured Yeah. Geno can rush Gino, up the Gino middle. And if you can run, rush up the middle on a short quarterback, that's going to that's gonna give a lot of problems. Yes, but his capability to get outside if you don't contain him, a la, you know, Michael Vick used to do to people. Not calling him Michael Vick. But when you have a scrambling quarterback, you have to kind of get that must rush right up the middle and keep your containment. If you bring a backup defensive end who's, you know, just trying to go out there and, you know, make a name for himself, and he gets too wild and he opens up that lane, that, that's what worries me. They should beat the Browns. Don't get me wrong. But the when Marcus you guys talk Hunt, about Cleveland, who's going to fill in? I'm sorry? Who's going to be, so who's going to be filling in? Is it going to be Marcus Hunt? Uh, yeah, and they'll probably do some kind of rotation with uh, Michael Johnson as well. Um, but we don't really get a lot of sacks. There are a lot, there are a lot of like in Atlanta with that, that we don't get a lot of, uh, of, of sacks. We get a lot of pressures, but not a lot of sacks. So that's to me. I, I, I can see either anybody losing outside of New England at this point. I think New England's got a real shot at running the table because they just look to be hitting on all cylinders. And they go so deep into their game planning of, I'm going to take away your best option, hell or hot water, and make you do something different. And other teams talk about it. But they do it on a consistent basis, and I hate to talk good about them, but that's just that's just the, the truth of the matter. Um, I think the biggest matchup on Thursday is I'm not sure yeah. if Joe Hayden's 100%, but Joe Hayden versus AJ Green. Going back to their Georgia Hayden Florida days, out. Hayden has always been able to beat. Oh, he's out. Then yeah, no he's worries. Yeah, concussion. He's out. No worries. Yeah, he, yeah, he's he's out on a concussion protocol. Then uh, no worries. And, and speaking of, yeah, hopefully so. Speaking of uh, uh, concussions and injuries, man, this that was one of the craziest Sundays I think I've seen in a while. Now, we talk about it every year, but like I said, I was watching that Pittsburgh game, and you saw Bale's legs just go in the direction it wasn't supposed to go. And then you have Forte getting hurt, uh, Ricardo Lockett, you know, being carried out on a stretcher uh, in Seattle. Uh, it was just really nasty. I, mean, I know I'm missing some more injuries. I, can you remember another Sunday recently where – you just had so many people not only go down. Oh, uh, Keenan Allen with Steve a uh, lacerated kidney. He's out for the year. Yeah. Steve Smith it's, with it's, the torn yeah, Achilles. Torn Achilles, yeah. Can you remember another Sunday where it was so nasty like that? I mean, and not just backups. You know, I mean, stars getting knocked out I for the year. I think that's the thing. It's the stars being lost for the season and being lost at the halfway point of the season that makes it just so yeah. brutal. And – that opens the door, I think, for your Bengals to run away with the division because Le'Veon Bell is such a huge part of that offense, not just running the ball, but pass protection and coming out of the backfield. He takes a lot of heat off Antonio Brown. That was a, yeah. just a huge loss. Steve Smith going down to a ruptured Achilles is just brutal. I think it I think it ends his career. He may try to tough out and come back so he can say I didn't end on an injury, but for all intents and purposes, that ended his career, and that was a stellar Hall of Fame career. Uh, it's yeah. just been – it was a bad Sunday. It really was. I mean, it, it was it was ridiculous. Um, and even outside, you know, the fantasy, we get care, we get caught up in that. But just, you know, it alterations. But I agree with you. The race that alters the most 
was the AFC North um, and even the, you know, the AFC wild card because I, if, I figured that Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, one wins the division, one gets in. But now Pittsburgh has a tough road to get into the, to the playoffs without Bell because I think Williams is a good backup when you put him in the stretches. But to ask him to replicate what Le'Veon Bell gives you, he just can't do that. So you're looking and at he's injury prone probably, as well. Absolutely, and he doesn't. And they don't have anybody to take any carries off of him right now. It's going to be the D'Angelo Williams show. But you look at the Jets. I think the Jets are going to probably, depending on what's going on with Patrick Stum, and, and I read today that he's going to play uh, since this is not throwing hand. I think the Jets have a good enough defense and a good enough weapons to get one of those uh, playoff spots. I don't think anybody else comes out of the AFC South, but I think you may have opened the door back up to an Oakland Raiders team now out of the West where there's going to be a big game this week with Pittsburgh and Oakland because head-to-head tiebreaker, I think they're both going to be sitting right there with about the same record trying to get that second wild card in the AFC. And that's going to be a close game. This Oakland team is not laughingstock Oakland that you usually see. They are a ferocious, fast defense, and that offense, Derek Carr is starting to blossom. Amari Cooper has shown you that he is just a stud, just like many people thought he would be. His route running is incredible for a rookie. And that receiving mm-hmm. core has jumped out huge. Um, Clive Walford looks to be coming along. Latavius Murray is a fantastic runner if he can hold on to the ball. That could right. be a surprise team. Absolutely. And Charles Wilson at the Fountain of View still getting interceptions. I mean, he's getting it done Jeez. at 38. You know, I mean, I remember watching him when I was, you know, 18 and he was 18. You know, I'm sitting here watching, like, this guy is still out there, you know, making plays at 38. I, I mean, he doesn't look like he's even close to being done. So, that's I mean, what I'm I saying. I wonder how long he's going to play. Yeah, because he looks, he looks really good. Oakland, I'm, I'm glad for Oakland, you know, because they kind of have that same problem that the Bengals and the Falcons have. Where not, they have championships where we don't, but they haven't really been relevant, you know, since what? Oh, they've Gruden been the and fire for like the last decade. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad to see them get off the mat, um, so to speak. So, you know, good for them. But, yeah, like you said, I think the Le'Veon Bell one is the one that, that shakes up the most. Uh, moving on a little bit, um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to give you some time to talk about the Braves. Uh, Kaepernick being benched, we spoke on it, for Blaine Gabbert. Is, if there's no other uh, indictment of how bad you've been playing, that should tell you everything you need to know uh, when you wake up in the morning and say, I just got benched for Blaine Gabbert? I mean, wow. And then they trade Vernon Davis, and if Vernon Davis goes to Denver and balls out, I mean, what does that say? So you got rid of Davis, you bench Kaepernick, Harbaugh is left, and he's rejuvenated, rejuvenated uh, that Michigan squad. I mean, do you think San Francisco is hit rock bottom yet, or is it going to get worse? Oh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. They are so devoid of talent right now. That defense is nowhere near what it was. They basically have Navarro Bowman, and that's it. Uh, yeah. I always knew Kaepernick wasn't much of a quarterback. It was a bad move for them to let go of Alex Smith for just Kaepernick and to not draft any insurance behind him. Kaepernick's never been a quarterback. He's always been an athlete who can throw the ball, but he doesn't throw a football. He throws it like he's throwing a baseball. He's got no touch. Yeah. He's got no accuracy. And he lost the locker room. If you heard that same report that I'm thinking you did, there was players in the locker yeah. room saying that Kaepernick needed to be benched. And that's a bad yeah. mark because much as we crap on Blaine Gabbert, he can throw the ball better than Kaepernick. I mean, that's – he may not have the same arm, but he can throw the ball better than Kaepernick, and that's a bad state of affairs. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about it was um, I heard that two players uh, texted one of the reporters from Bleacher Report and said they need to bench him, and it was Vernon Davis that said they need to bench him. And then I believe – I forget which offensive lineman came to Kaepernick's defense. 
So that's probably part of the reason why you got Davis traded. But, I mean, yeah, that locker room is a mess. Be careful what you wish for is the lesson I will learn there. You ran Harbaugh out, and he was holding that thing together with glue and duct tape. And you ran him out of there, and now you just have a free-for-all in San Francisco. So, once again, you know, you got a winning coach, and he rubbed some people the wrong way, yeah, but he had them on the right path. So, there it is. So, I'm going to give you the rest of the time here to, uh, to get on your Alex Gordon and your Braves offseason plan. I haven't been following it too much. I've been in the World Series and football. You tell me what the Braves should be doing as opposed to what you're hearing they should are doing or combine them if you want to. All right. With the baseball season wrapped up and your Royals are the World Series champions, that shows you that small ball can still work in the big leagues. Now, the Braves took a good step towards that by getting away from some of the bad contracts. Unfortunately, they made a few bad moves. They still need to get a left fielder. There's been talk about them putting Hector Oliveira out there in winter ball so we can get some position versatility. Uh, They've got some good young starters, but they need some more proven starters, and they need these young guys to step up big. So my off-season points for the Braves, and there's a few of them, and it sounds like a lot, but it can be done. Alex Gordon is not going to be – he's not going to pick up his option with the Royals unless he really just decides he wants to finish his career there. And that's, that's possible. It's not plausible. In which case, I would sign him to a four-year deal, uh, pay him roughly fifteen and a half, maybe $16 million, because he's going to hold down your left field. You're going to get him through the end of his peak years. His last year will be a down year. There will be a drop-off, but he doesn't strike out a lot. He puts the ball in play. He's a gold-glove left fielder, and you can bat him anywhere in your lineup. After that, I signed Scott Casimir. That's a that's a lefty who's pitched with Houston. He pitched lights out with Houston. He's a power thrower, strikes out a lot of people, provides a real veteran presence for your young guys, shows them how to control that fastball a little bit better. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not done there. Your catching position, you cannot count on a renaissance again from AJ. My goal there, you take two of your young pitchers, preferably if I had my druthers, it would be Fulton Evitz and Tyrell Jenkins. I would trade them to the Brewers for Jonathan Lucroy. Lucroy had a down year, and he just hit 30. But he was also injured for a good portion of the year. And if Lucroy stays on the field, he provides you a 265 to 280 hitter, anywhere from 18 to 25 home runs, and probably about 85 RBI, all while playing a great defense and an all-star caliber catcher, which is something you haven't had since Brian McCann. And it provides you a good, well-rounded lineup where you've got people who can consistently drive in runs where a lot of the problem the Braves had this season was getting runners on base and not being able to move them over. What do you think about that? Oh, and you got it right in under the wire. That is a great job. If they can pull all those four off, they put themselves right back in contention. That's been the morning after, folks. We appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate all the good information you always give me, Dylan. We're going to probably try to do this again next Wednesday, and if we can squeeze another one in on next Friday, we're going to do that as well. 